Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. Today we have Randy Fritsch, who is the CMO and co-founder at Uberflip, a content experience platform that empowers B2B marketers to create personalized content experiences for demand generation, account-based marketing, content marketing, and sales enablement at scale. I'm going to let him explain what that all means in a second. But first and foremost, Randy, how's it going? It's great, Eric. Thanks for having me on today. I'm excited about this. Thanks for being here. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love to learn a little bit about you and kind of uh, what your story is before we start going deep into uh, kind of Uberflip. Amazing. It's funny. I always start that that question in, in interviews that I do, like when we're hiring people here at Uberflip. And as soon as you ask that question, everyone instantly starts talking about their professional resume. Right? It's like, tell me about yourself. And it's a resume reply. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll try and avoid that. Uh, yeah. What do, what do you want to know? I guess more the personal side, the professional side. What are you looking for? Yeah. I mean, I, more so, I think you as a marketer, you understand that people um, people bond with stories more than anything. Uh, I think it's tough to bond with a resume. So uh, whatever you can start, you can go with your professional story or you can go with your personal story. Um, I'm going to let you decide. Some some people even go like as deep as to like their elementary school story. So I, I don't know. It's you, You're a storyteller. You're a marketer. You decide your story. Sure. So a little bit about my story, I guess. I, I won't take you back to kindergarten. I mean, I think there's only a 30 minute <laughs> podcast. Uh I, but I, I'm a marketer at heart. I mean, when I was 12 year old, uh, I always said to people I wanted to be a marketer. I, I wouldn't say I knew I wanted to go into B2B marketing. I, I probably thought Super Bowl commercials were ba- were sexy back then. Somewhere along the way, I, I fell into B2B marketing and, and helping solve for that. But, you know, I, I, I come from a very entrepreneurial family. You know, my grandfather started a business that you know, became very successful. My father was very involved with that family as well. So, you know, being entrepreneurial was very much around me growing up. I didn't know that I'd ever have the guts to go start something new. I thought I'd maybe end up in that family business. But, you know, things kind of play out, right? And, and I think that's the reality of of even, you know, starting up a business is is you got to go with the flow. You got you to realize that I, I don't necessarily believe that things happen for a reason, but I believe that when they happen, you have to go with that, right? You have to, you know, play that out and and that's that's something that that I think I I try and balance between professional life and personal life, right? I mean, I'm I have a great personal life. I've got an amazing wife, um, married for 13 years. I've got three kids who are 12, almost 10, and eight. So when I'm you know when I'm not working and and trying to help build the idea of content experience, I'm probably coaching hockey for one of my boys or learning how to dance with my daughter. Uh, you know, one one of those skills is is definitely weaker than the other and it's almost debatable sometimes if it's my dance step or my hockey shot but uh you know it's you you just have to have fun with what's in front of you i think love it and i guess around you just mentioned the word content experience and then that, that ties in with uber flip right so maybe um first and foremost a what is content experience and then i will go from there yeah it's a great question i i i think to answer what is content experience, we might as well kind of start with the term that people are more familiar with when you use the word content, and that's marketing, right? I mean, a lot of us 
call it 10 plus years ago, even though content marketing has been around forever, but 10 plus years ago, a lot of companies said, oh my God, that's, that's the solution to everything. If I create thought leadership, if I create more of an inbound funnel, then people will buy from my business. And if, if you go to some of the definitions of content marketing, my favorite, check out like the one on Content Marketing Institute. And if you, if you check there, it talks about creating and distributing valuable, relevant, and consistent content to attract a clearly defined audience, like a really loaded definition. But I think in a lot of these definitions, we just get a tunnel vision. We focus on, on one very specific part of it. And either that's because we want to get it off the ground or we just get stuck there. And for a lot of us, when we think about content marketing, we think about creating content, right? How do we author content? How do we write content? How do we create a great video? How do you create all these assets that are going to connect with our audience? But we over-associate around creation and we, we ignore this idea of, well, what's that going to look like when someone consumes that content? You know, what are they going to encounter? Uh, or what is that experience? And that's where content experience is less about content creation. It's more about how do we utilize that content? How do we activate that content? How do we put it in front of the different people who are going to buy from our organization at different times? And as, as a lot of us know, and Eric, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've had a lot of guests who, who tell you that it's getting really hard to sell these days because we have so many people weighing into buying decisions and they all expect a personalized experience at the end of the day. Got it. And that's okay. So actually, that 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 dovetails well into so you know Uber Uberflip. You guys are a content experience platform, and you guys also you guys also do personalized content experiences. So maybe you can talk a little bit about kind of what Uberflip is and, and how it helps people. Because I, I gave you the very, I yeah, gave sure. people the very corporate kind of um, sentence. No problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, playing off what we just talked about, you know, to really clear the clear it up, we do not help people directly create content, right? So we're not, you know, going to help you pump out more blog content or create a, you know, that next ebook. What we're going to do is we're going to allow you to take all that content that's been created inside of your organization and actually bundle it up for the right audience at the right time. So both the backend logic to organize that content and ultimately personalize it, but we also are that front-end experience. So we will host a page that your audience will go to to engage in content. And there's a lot of different ways that we we might think about that, which I'll, you know, maybe I'll get to in a moment, but I, I just want to pause and, and make sure people understand that distinction between creating content, you know, which is a, a really tough job. And when you think about it in, in your organization, a lot of us have actually hired content marketers, right? Um, and when we hire content marketers, a lot of those people we, we hire are great writers, right? They were a journalist in their past career, or they came from the media world, or they, they came from a writing degree in their undergrad. But we magically expect those people to be able to figure out content experience. So as you're listening to this you know, podcast, and you're trying to figure out, okay, well, I got to get my content marketer to own content experience, it's, it's kind of a debatable question. Are they the right person? Or is this really something that you need to ingrain amongst your demand generation team, your digital marketing team? And you know, in some organizations, we're starting to see more people who are owning content experience as a job title. Yeah, that to me. So there's two. There's two different things. I, I think um, kind of what I'm hearing is like a content marketing to a lot of people. Just seems, oh, you got to publish like two thousand word blog posts, and you know you you have to x amount of blog posts per month or something like that, right? It, it just seems like output more output than anything. Content experience is actually delivering something that's that's kind of remarkable to the person that's consuming the content. Am I am I on the right track there? 
Yeah, that's definitely a part of it, right? I mean, I think you're hitting on this idea of environment. You know, what is that environment around the content? You know, how does it look? You know, what other content is recommended alongside? That's definitely a big part of it. But there's a lot of strategy goes into getting to that point, right? Thinking about the structure, thinking about how we're going to engage someone. I'll I'll put it to you a different way. I think, uh, as you said, a lot of us think that if we write a blog post that magically people will come flocking, right? It's, you know, very, very field of dreams of us, right? If, if you build it, they will come. And to a degree that that can work. Don't get me wrong. If, if you've optimized for SEO and you're, you're hitting against a very you know, specific topic, that will definitely work. But it's not often one piece of content that's going to get someone to buy from us. So the, the idea of just create content as our go-to-market strategy, I don't think is, is a very valid one. I like to, I like to take, you know, take a step back a bit. You know, I love the book, uh, start with why by, by Simon Sinek. And, you know, you, you think just in general, like what is marketing team? Why do marketing teams exist? And I know, I think Eric, like a lot of your listeners here are probably running a startup or they're probably in marketing from, from the title of the podcast itself. And when we, when we ask that question, you'll get a lot of long answers, you know, marketing exists to support sales or to align messaging throughout our organization or, you know, to ensure pipeline creation or retention. But at the end of the day, I often like to distill it down to a very simple concept, which is marketing exists to ensure there is growth in the organization, right? Like that's why marketing exists. So then we understand the why. The next, if, if we use that start with why framework is, you know, how do you do that? Right? How do we go about doing that? Which to me, many marketers can speak about very easily. They, they talk about their go-to-market strategy, right? So, you know, they'll talk about, you know, an, an inbound strategy or an ABM strategy. ABM is account-based marketing, if those don't know. Um, you know, or they'll talk about, you know, their demand generation efforts that they're doing and where they're spending money and things like that. So that's that's kind of step one. And, and with that kind of comes this process that maybe even happened before they decided they're going to market where they say, well, this is, this is the audience that I want to target, right? Either it's a very specific persona or maybe they're selling to a vertical or industry, or maybe as we hit on with ABM, they're selling to specific tiered accounts, right? So that's, that's kind of, you know, we've started with why, which is growth. How are we going to do it as our go to market? And then we think about, okay, well, how do we engage our audience and marketers can list you off, anywhere from a handful to a dozen different strategies they're going to do, right? They'll send emails from their marketing automation. That's one. They'll use social media to grab people's attention. That's another. If they're doing ABM, they may be doing direct mail these days. They may be, you know, using their sales team with, you know, amazing solutions like sales loft or outreach to, to engage. And again, as I said, I'm not going to give you a dozen of these, but we all know the different strategies. So to that point, we haven't actually talked about content yet, right? And that's the reality is we try and lead too often with content versus understand how content's going to be used in these strategies. And what I would suggest to everyone to think about is when you send an email, when you send a direct mail package, when you do a retargeted ad online, in many cases, that's when you link to content. But too often, the problem that we have is we link to a single piece of content versus bundling together a number of different assets so that someone accelerates through that buyer journey. 
Love it. Yeah, it, it, I think one of the problems right now with all this content marketing, you know, everyone's going omni-channel, all this stuff is it, it's hard to combine everything because everything's so disparate, right? So maybe, I guess with, with Uberflip, uh, is there like one company you can speak to or one case study you can speak to so guys can kind of, uh, or, or and gals too, can visualize how it might work for them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's hard to get one to hit on all the very different go-to-market strategies that we have. But so let's... Let's choose uh, let's choose one that's a hot topic these days. I already hit on it twice, account-based marketing, right? I mean, I, th- I think a lot of marketers are, you know, with, with more sophisticated solutions, more complex buying journey, they understand that they can be more efficient with their spend. They can hit a better audience. They can waste less resources if they target key accounts. There's a company that we work with, a company called Snowflake. They've grown, you know, fair unicorn status type of growth, amazing execution in the marketplace. They're in a data warehousing space. And they had a a gentleman there named Daniel Day, who still works there today. He heads up their ABM practice under their marketing org. And in their early days, he was sitting there and he was trying to figure out ways to engage these accounts. And, And I think a lot of us for ABM, we get... We get very obsessed with tiering our accounts, right? Like who are going to be my tier one accounts? Those are like those one-to-one accounts that I know I can win. Who are going to be those one-to-few, the ones I'll do a little bit of personalization, but not that much. And then, you know, who are one-to-many, that that tier three or, you know, however however else you may slice and dice your your go-to-market strategy there. And and we get overly obsessed and stuck there, right? Like we, we spend all this work tiering the accounts. And yet again, we get to this point where we're like, okay, well, we, we tiered them. They should just buy from us now. But the reality in, in that, that we have to do is we have to engage those accounts, right? That's what Laura Ramos at Forrester, uh, you know, talks a lot about account-based engagement. You know, how do we go and actually engage those accounts on a day-to-day basis? So what Daniel did is he said, okay, we, we figured out the data side, right? I mean, they're, they're like a data company. So they understand the accounts they want to land. The question is, how are they going to go and engage those accounts? So what they did is they started to create all their different go-to-market strategies. They had emails that they're sending out with signatures that have content in them. They had retargeted ads that they were using a platform called Terminus for to serve. They had email nurtures going from a combination of their sales automation tool and their marketing automation tool. And the key, though, was all those efforts to capture attention were highly personalized. The ad was highly personalized. The signature was highly personalized in their email and so on and so on. But the key was when someone clicked on that, when they captured the attention, they dropped them onto a page that was just as personalized, filled with content. So suppose they were selling to Pepsi. On that page, they may have seven to 10 pieces of content that tied to the beverage industry, that tied to consumer goods packaging, that tied to the challenges that that type of business model would have so that they don't have to sift through the same content that John Deere would have to sift through or Uber would have to sift through. And, and it starts to feel personalized there. And they, they do other cosmetic things as well, like showing their logo with a heart tied to the customer they're trying to sell to. And all of a sudden you land there and it feels completely connected to you as the buyer. And when you think about it, Eric, that's the experience that I, I bet you get when you open up a Spotify or you open up Netflix. It feels like it was sliced and diced for you. 
There you go. I love that analogy. See, th- I think that analogy makes it easy for everyone to understand. It's like uh, it's like Spotify or Netflix level personalization for business. Absolutely. It's it's a very simple way to to think about it. The the book I wrote gives gives no shortage of analogies. My my team knows that I'm I'm an analogy freak. You know, the problem with analogies is not every one of them works coming out of the out of the oven. So my team has to put up with some bad ones. But <laughs> most of the ones that got into the book and, and the Spotify and Netflix, they definitely hit home, right? I mean, one of the things take Spotify that I love and a lot of people listening to this podcast may even be listening on Spotify right now. So you don't don't stop listening to the podcast, but click that home button. And there's amazing words there. There's words like made for you, right? Which is they're, they're making these playlists for us on a daily basis. And that's, that's amazing to think. Now, there's also an important lesson there. It feels completely personalized. Like, you know, you may have thousands of people listening to this podcast right now on Spotify. That Spotify feels personalized to every single one of you. But it's not personalized content. It's a personalized collection of items that we already have in our library, right? Like when I open up my Spotify account, ACDC has not gone and you know written a new track for me. It feels that way because they've curated content or music that I care about. And that's an important thing for us to think about as marketers. When we think about this world of personalization, whether we're taking that AVM approach we talk about or more demand gen, a lot of us get overwhelmed saying, oh, well, I'm never going to create enough content, right? Like, you know, we could never get personalized. You don't necessarily have to create custom content always. And I think that's the mistake a lot of us make. We get stuck in content creation, right? There's a stat by Serious Decisions out there that says that almost 70% of the content we create never gets used. It's because we're trying to create too much content versus trying to leverage the content that we have. Love it. All right. Well, I do want to talk about your book in a second, but uh, before we do, uh, so business model for you guys, how do you guys make money and, and how, do, uh, how do you guys generally charge? Absolutely. Not really evolved, but evolved in terms of what our ACV is, how do we go to market, type of customers we work with over the years. But we've always been a SaaS platform on, from day one. So recurring revenue model, our customers in many cases are, are uh, paying us an annual fee often on, you know, often the, the idea of building a better content experience is a long-term mindset. So a lot of our customers are on multi-year deals working with us to, you know, build the right infrastructure and then personalize over time, which really comes back to this idea of what we call a content experience framework for execution. Love it. Okay. And if someone wanted to get started, I mean, how do you guys, uh, is there like a opening price tier or is it just all, um, you know, de- sales call, demo, et cetera? So people get started with us by, by getting in touch and identifying the challenges that they have in their business uh, and helping us. And, and then we'll kind of help analyze as, as I did before. Okay. If you're taking an ABM approach and these are your go-to-market strategies and these are the channels you're using, where could your content lead to a more fluid experience? And the reality is a lot of our pricing comes down to the amount that you want to personalize. That's the simplest way to think about it. I mean, we have a lot of you know features that, that do this or do that or levers to, you know, to measure that, but it comes down to the more you want to personalize the more you're likely going to spend with us. And, you know, that sounds overwhelming, but it, it usually actually work, works really well to the sophistication and kind of the scale of the organization because the larger organization you're in, 
probably the more markets or business units that you have trying to target different markets. So it ends up just kind of working out in a very natural way. Okay. Love that part. Well, maybe we'll just, we'll use the book to dovetail into it. So let's talk about the book. So the book is called Fuck Content Marketing. So, so I love the point of view. Um, Maybe you could talk about the book a little bit and how you even came up with the title. Yeah, sure. I'll start off by telling people I'm not the type of guy to like throw the F-bomb all over the place. You know, maybe sometimes in the office, you know, for a fact, but yeah, I mean, even at home to give perspective, like my kids are not allowed to watch Deadpool yet, right? Like we're we're pretty <laughs> we're pretty respectable people, end of day in, in my household. But I, I wrote this book uh, as a follow up to a blog post I wrote a few years ago, and and the blog post was titled very the same as the book, Fuck Content Marketing. I, I was writing this blog post after reading that stat that I dropped earlier, the one about from serious decisions that 70% of content goes unused. And, and it just, when I read that, it, it caught me off guard, even though I was in this space, I just couldn't believe that that much content, that much dollars spent, you know, would just sit there unused. And when I dug in and I, I reached out to the people at Sirius, they, they didn't necessarily mean that it didn't exist on, on their site or something like that. It was just, it wasn't, it wasn't being leveraged in a strategic way because a lot of that content would just kind of get stuck at the end. And and that to me was just, it caught me off guard in a way that I almost felt irresponsible. I felt like every time I told my team, like, you know, we're not creating enough content, I was probably part of that problem too. And I got to the point where I was like, holy, sh-, like, I'm not going to double swear, but like, fuck this, right? Like, <laughs> there's no point in continuing to do this if we're not going to leverage it. There's no point. And when I say do this, it's create content. Like why create content if it's going to go unused? It's funny. When I sent it to my team, the blog post, usually they're like, all right, nice. One less post that we have to write this week because Randy took care of one on the plane ride. This time they they wrote back. There's like, there's no way in hell that we're posting this. You know, we're going to offend everyone. We're going to offend our customers, our future customers. No one's going to buy into this. And I was like, no, well, I actually, I, I was receptive. I was like, okay, well, what would you go with instead? And, and one of them said, well, why don't, we, why don't we just say stop content marketing instead? And my point was, no, it's not about stopping content marketing. And, you know, I kind of waved the white flag and I said, let's define content marketing as just creation. Even though it wasn't meant to be that, let's acknowledge that for many of us, that's what it's become. And it's not that we have to stop creating content. Perhaps sometimes we, we're creating too much, but we have to be strategic about the content that we create, or more so, we have to be strategic about how content can be used in our buyer's experience, in our buyer's journey. And if we think about it in that way, then we'll create content that's very useful. And then all of a sudden, you're going to have content marketers saying, they're be- saying, I'm adding value to the organization. So as much as, I, again, I wrote this book, we've had amazing support. I just had a, a post that I was tagged on in Instagram today of someone who read the book tagging me saying, you know, how how appreciative they are to reframe, you know, what their job can mean to their organization if a focus is put to experience. Love it. And also to, to build on the, the whole content experience kind of phrase, uh, I remember, and, and I don't know if you've done this, but the whole category design thing that uh, the, the book Play Bigger kind of um, came up with, or maybe they're, it's, it's, it's big emphasis on their book, right? So is that something you spent a lot of time thinking on and, and just to kind of separate yourself from the competitor saying, hey, look, you guys, you guys are you guys, but we're a content experience platform. Uh, I just want to kind of get into your head around, you know, how you came up with that. 
So it's fine. I mean, I wish category creation on nobody. It's it's uh it's hard work. It's it's a lot. I actually I don't know if it's easier. I don't want to say that I'm. I, it I feel like it can be more efficient. Granted, it can be competitive environments to deal with differently when you're when you're in an established category. The decision to create the content experience category, which we did, was somewhat out of necessity. I mean, when we were, even if you look at it just from a pure technology perspective, we would get lumped into a G2, if you're familiar with G2, yeah. they're, they're a peer review site or trust radius or, you know, other similar. We would be lumped into a, a grid with competitors, but they were really our partners. They weren't competitors. Companies like Post, Contently, NewsCred, all companies who help with content creation. And we would say, well, we don't do that. We would actually recommend them to our customers who are struggling on the creation side. So to be labeled that was very confusing for our buyer, who in many cases for us is not a content marketer, right? Many of our buyers are often in the demand gen group or the digital marketing group or audience segmentation group. So it, it was kind of a necessity that we had to distance ourselves from a term that became very narrowly focused in its definition. But it, it was ultimately something that we also had to protect. I, I won't name who, but there was a company that I was at a, a conference. Uh, this was you know years into building the category. And I went by their booth. They, they were definitely a content creation solution, right? Like, so let them own content marketing. And I walked by their booth at this, at this trade show. And it says, you know, something along the lines of how they're a great solution for your content experience. And and uh-huh. I stopped and I was like, guys, what are you doing? I knew these people. And they're like, oh, well, our product marketer's here. So I said, oh, I'd love to talk to your product marketer. And I asked them, you know, why did you why did you choose content experience? I said, are you guys starting to do stuff in that space? And she said, no, we just thought it sounded great. And I was like, no, that's that's not a that's not a reason. That's not you know, we we need to be very careful what we call ourselves. And and that's not just because it was pissing me off. It's because we have to remember that. <laughs> Marketers are walking up and down that aisle trying to figure out what they need and what that what they need and what that means. And, you know, we look at, you know, we look at landscapes like uh, Scott Brinker's uh, MarTech slide, which has, you know, 5000 plus companies in there. And even those the subdivision he's done of categories is very overwhelming to marketers. And, you know, as much as I run a MarTech company, I'm also CMO here. So I often need explanation, whether it's on the data side, whether it's on the audience segmentation side, the, you know, the engagement side, I need to understand what something does and doesn't do. And I think that's something that a lot of us have to be aware of as we're starting companies, as we're figuring out our messaging. It's what do we really do? What do we mean to, to our customer? Love it. The other thing too, uh, when you talk about content experience, I'm looking at, you know, your, your site right now and you guys have this conference called, is it Connects? Is that pronouncing it right? Uh, Connex, it's it's Connex. actually a short form for content experience, but but yeah. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, it's, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. we we realize that some people just think it's about connecting, yeah. like Connex, okay. uh, or Connex, as you as you said. But absolutely, it's it's a big conference to see what it's all about. Uh, we started this number of years ago. This is our fourth year coming up August twentieth to twenty second of twenty nineteen in Toronto. We we get you know 
a lot of people, we get about 750 people, many of which are coming up from the US. Canada, don't be fooled, is a beautiful, warm place in the summer. Uh, that's why we don't do it in February. And we have an amazing lineup of speakers, uh, people like Neil Patel, who I know you've had on your show. We've got uh, people like Jay Bear and Hanley. We've got some fun entertainment included in there. Uh, and it's, it's really a few days focused on the buyer journey. And as we've been talking about today, Eric, it's, it's not how do we create more content? How do you create better content? I mean, we will hit on that in passing, but it's it's how do we think more strategically about the experience we're putting in front of our buyer? Okay. And for your, I guess for the, the conference itself, how long have you been doing it? And because a lot of people say, oh God, it's, it's such a time suck, you know, and then some people end up shutting the conference down. It seems like it's been working for you for a while. Uh, yeah, it definitely works. Not to say that we don't have those debates that you just talked about as to, is this, is this the, the best use of time? You know, our event has grown quite a bit. Uh, you know, the first year we did about four years ago, we made it more of a user conference that first time. You know, it, it was very Uberflip focused, Uberflip centric. And we, we made a big shift in the second year, even removing Uberflip from the name, uh, removing any mention of Uberflip on stage, um, other than if, if one of our customers was speaking and happened to talk about us, great. But, you know, there was no product pitch or, or you know, product unveil on the big two days of the conference. Uh, and we what we did to, to compensate for that is we did a a workshop day in advance, which is still a big part of the conference. Uh, this year, we actually have three workshops, uh, one by us, that's all about content experience, one by a partner of ours uh, called Vidyard that, that helps uh, in oh, yeah. video marketing. Yeah, so they're they're tacking on at the front end of, of Connex and running a video mark, uh, workshop, and one by my friend Jay Bear at Convince to Convert, where they're going to do more on content marketing. How do we create better content? So, you know, the idea is to have a very practical day up front and then two days of thought leadership, uh, senior level marketing leaders, CMOs of some some really interesting organizations, uh, some analysts who speak as well. Uh, it, it balances out the the, the big challenge, though, and, you know, anyone who's thinking about taking on a, a conference, I mean, it, it's a major undertaking. It's, you know, it's, it's a big financial burden. It's funny, one of the things that we found over time, our customers kind of often expect discounts and things like that to come. It's, it's the ones who may not even become a customer who will pay more. But those are the people that you're happy to have in the room, but you don't really need to have in the room. So it's it's one of those those balances that you need to find when you're running a conference is who who do you want this to appeal to and and how do you balance having the right people in the room this year we're we're expecting close to 800 people and your your first year was uh, you said when you did your first user conference how many people was that it was a very inflated 200 yeah it was kind of like you know throwing people in buses and getting them to come got it <laughs> got it yeah you know, free butts and seats and things like that so you know i i think you know part of that is you got to remember if if someone's committing that much of their time i mean it's it's hard for us as as marketers as business owners to expect people to take an hour to watch a webinar right we're asking people to travel spend time away from their family, friends, and get them in a room and then, you know, try and educate them for a prolonged amount of time. That's not easy, right? So to do that, we got to be, we got to be very strategic. We got to have great content. We got to make it feel 
uh, like an opportunity for him to learn. And, and when I say learn, it's, it's obviously learned from the content on stage, but it's also learned from the people in the room. And that's something that we, we, we've learned is, is really a key. It's, it's how do we make it, it accessible to, to meet new people? I was just talking to a woman who's attended the last couple of years, uh, this past week. And, and she said, you know, one of the things that she loved was just even how accessible the speakers were to speak to. Right. Like she was able to talk to a lot of our speakers at you know different networking things that we set up. And that's that's something that gets harder as you as you grow to. Right. Um, you know, this year we made a, a big focus to to not grow the number of people in the room as much. We've, we've typically doubled year over year, but more so to make sure it was the right people in the room. Love that. Yeah, I, I think um, so. What I'm hearing too, benefits wise, is you, you, okay. You have your customers there. You build uh, current customers. You build deeper relationships, um, and then some of the accounts will expand. So the relationships, those are very valuable too. But um, are there any other benefits that you can concretely say that you've gotten from the conference? The reason I'm asking is just um, so people can get their own ideas on whether they want to do one for themselves or not. Yeah, I I, I think. A lot of us, anytime we do an event, whether it's throwing your own event or going to an event or doing a road show, we actually did an eight city road show with this event this past year. So we went to Boston, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Austin, Atlanta, Seattle, and I'm forgetting one. Oh, Toronto. (laughs) Uh, And uh, then you have to try and determine ROI, right? You got to show your board ROI. You got to show your, you know, your executive team ROI. And, and, we tried to, to look at ROI from a couple perspectives. Obviously, a lot of us, as I was saying, that the default we go to is, did it generate opportunities? Did it generate pipeline? Did it close a deal? But one of the other things that, that's got a ton of value is uh, on the road shows that we did through those eight cities, we had over $4 million of our customer revenue come through one of those cities, right? So we had $4 million of, of customer revenue in the room. And you look at that in terms of what that means from a buy-in education retention perspective. It's hard to quantify because you obviously hope a lot of those customers are going to renew no matter what. But but I, I think that that's a factor that, that sometimes we overlook with these events. Yep. Totally agree. Yeah, Neil and I, we actually did uh, our first conference a couple weeks ago. Took a lot of time, took a lot of effort, but it's 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 the intangibles that happen, right? Current customers come, they stay longer, uh, and you know helps push a deal. At the, I guess football analogy, one yard line, push them over to touchdown. So, yeah, no, I'm a big fan of conferences as well, even though uh, yeah, I'm an online guy. So working towards wrapping up here, a couple more questions from my side. Uh, so look, you you have you have uh, your book, you speak at conferences, you guys throw your own conferences. What's one other thing that's working really well for you guys in terms of customer acquisition? That's a great question. Um, hmm, I'm going to think about this one, but I, I, I would say that that one of the, the best forms of, of acquisition is, is referral, right? Um, I mean, the reality is in our case, especially selling to marketers, the, the lifetime of a marketer and their current role and their ability to move on in other organizations or the networks that they have is, is so powerful that, that that referral is so important. Now, at the same time, you got to be careful with that. And that's where we, you know, we briefly mentioned sites like G2 and Trust Radius. I, I think those sites are really important. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not investing in relationships with analysts, right? Like we were recently in the Forrester Wave, which, you know, was a great opportunity for us to you know, build awareness and get some validation in, in that sense. But you think about what these these peer review sites are all about. And if, if you're not in the MarTech space or a software space, just think about 
the equivalent, right? You know, you could be in the travel industry and it's, it's, uh, you know, one of the travel review sites, whether it's hotels.com or, or, uh, you know, TripAdvisor, you know, there, this is your opportunity to define who your next customer is. But the key to that is consistent messaging. Right. You know, because sometimes what I'll see is I'll jump on to one of these sites and you've got 10 reviews and they're all describing your platform in a different way. And that's where we have to be so aware of the consistency of the message of, of what is being said out there in the market, because if someone defines you in a certain way, it, it can very, very much narrow your your opportunity. Um, I, I was fortunate uh, a number of. Earlier this year, I was at a conference in, in Austin, Texas, and it was a serious decisions conference. Um, and I got to sit down with the CMO of a very large company. I won't say it, but a lot of us would know know their their logo and, and brand. It's like a one of those three three letter domain brands. Uh, and when we were sitting down, she said, "You know what? Like I, she had taken some time to learn about us, which is sometimes rare for us at the C level." But she said when she chatted with her team, they had a very different perspective of what our company did. Now, the challenge there was that was a dated perspective. They knew our company from four years earlier, and they knew our company from what it was capable of then, which wasn't bad, and their association wasn't bad, but they weren't familiar with what we were capable of today. So if they were to go write a review of us today, it wouldn't capture what we do today. It would capture what we were capable of four years ago. So I think, you know, back to your question, what's a very effective way? It is it is definitely word of mouth, but it's making sure that that, that is up to date in the market. And how do you make sure it's updated in the market? Is it just hammering cost, uh, content experience? Like, what is it? Mm-hmm. It's easier said than done. I don't think it's one thing. I think it's it's how you communicate with the market as a whole. You know, a big part is making sure that your current customers know what you do, that you have continued outreach with your, your existing customers. A lot of the stuff, you know, you hit on that I do, whether it's writing a book, whether it's going out and doing all the keynotes that I get to do, a lot of that is about market education. Now, I'm not out there talking about Uberflip per se, but I'm talking about the challenges that a marketer has to face. And within that, we try and align to those so that in turn, when you think about, you know, whether it's what I'm talking about or someone else in our organization is talking about, that there's a correlation between the two. So I, th- I think that all starts, though, with making sure your your company understands what you do. And, uh, and I'll be honest, that's not something that we've always put enough priority to. It's something that we've been putting a lot to lately internally here. And when you just mentioned the conferences uh, a while ago, a while ago, you said so you, ta- you were talking about uh, Sirius and uh, all these other conferences. And a lot of these conferences I've, I've never heard of before. So, what are like the top three marketing conferences you think, uh, or Martech conferences you think people need to be going to? Oh boy! Oh, Besides your own. <laughs> Besides my own. All right, uh, this is fun. Uh, I feel like I'm going to offend one of my one of my peers who throws a great conference somewhere along the way. Okay. I well, definitely our own is going to be in those top three, the content experience conference. It's, it's really about learning techniques to, to accelerate that buyer journey. I, I'm definitely a fan of, of serious decisions. I think that they provide a lot of great frameworks for marketers. You know, it's, it's gone a little bit big lately. So I think that's my only 
negative to it. It's, it's become hard to navigate and there's a lot of paid messaging built into it. You know, we're part of that problem by sponsoring it. So I, th- I think it's a bit tricky, but there's definitely the right audience there. And then the other, the other one I'll throw in there, and I, I won't necessarily call it one or another, but I, I think it's these more intimate opportunities to get marketers in a room. I, the last, uh, I think it was last month or two months ago, I spoke at a conference in New York called the Avanta Summit. It's, it's a subdivision of Gartner. What they do is they, they bring C-level and VP-level marketers into a room. I, I think maybe there was 100, 150 in the room. And first of all, they're learning from each other. And there's, there's um, a combination of, of you know, sponsored paid content and, and you know, keynote speakers. But I, I think it's those opportunities to get FaceTime for me as, as a marketer with other leaders in that way that is hard to navigate sometimes if I go to a large Adobe Summit or, you know, HubSpot inbound conference. I mean, those are great conferences, great, you know, a lot can be learned from them, but you don't necessarily get that intimacy of learning from each other. Love that. Thanks for the recommendations. Uh, Final question from my side. What is one must read book from your audience? Oh, from your audience. What's one must read book you'd recommend to the audience not called content marketing? Just one, huh? I mean, one one that I always love is, is the generic "Start with Why," you know, by by Simon Sinek. I I think it's a great book. I think it provides a great framework that we can apply on a regular basis throughout our organization. So, you know, hard to ignore that one. You know, the other one that's just kind of a an enjoyable read that'll just get you to think in, in more of a marketing sense is uh, "Talk Trickers" by Jay Bear. You know, Jay's a good friend of mine. I mentioned he helps throw the Connex conference with me. He's co-producer of it, and yeah, there, there's a whole chapter on Uberflip in there. So how's that for a, a selfish but not selfish plug? Awesome. Yeah, Jay's been on the podcast. Uh, actually, uh, all the other people Randy has mentioned have been on the podcast as well. We'll drop those uh, people in the show notes. Randy, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for people to find you online? Uh, sure. Lots lots of ways to do so. I'm, I'm probably most active on LinkedIn. Uh, so you can just look up Randy Frisch on LinkedIn. Uh, if you if you want to have me come speak somewhere and whatnot, check out my site, which is b-rand.com. So like brand with a dash after the b.com. Uh, and, and of course, uh, uberflip.com is a great place to learn about us or go to connects.uberflip.com to, to learn about the conference we talked about. All right, Randy, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks so much, Eric. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.